Now, master of your troops, O daughter of troops, siege is laid upon us. With a rod, they strike the judge at Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Aphratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. May God bless the reading of the word. Well, it is really a joy to just worship this Advent season with all of you here this morning. And so, uh, what a joy it is just to be able to stand and just be able to share God's Word uh, this morning. So I want to just ask you, if you would just ask the Lord just to speak to you through His Word this morning. Let's pray together. Oh God, what a joy it is to be here uh, with your people today to worship you. And God, Lord, I, I don't have the ability to really to sh share this word this morning. So God, I pray that, that by your spirit that you will just take your word and that you will just illuminate our hearts and our minds from what you want your word to say to us this morning. And God, may you be glorified in all of this. In Christ's name, amen. And so this past summer, I had the privilege to go to Silidar City with four of my grandchildren. Now, I can just, I bet you can just guess what I got to do. I rode more roller coasters in one day than I probably rode in 10 years of my life. It was a lot of fun, but after the end of that day, I was kind of hurting, being whipped around back and forth. I like roller coasters, but it was really fun and just a, a, a joy for me just to, to witness the joy of my youngest granddaughter, Charlie Rose. Because this was the first time Charlie Rose was able to ride on any of the big roller coasters. Because last year, the year before, she was too small. She was too little. Now you know, when you go to, go to the line of the roller coaster, they have that, that board in front of the line that has all those lines on it, that measuring board, and they have those three levels on that board. So that lower level is, it really, this is what my interpretation it says, there's no way you're getting on this ride, little, little girl. You're, you're too small. The second level is, well, you're big enough to go with an adult. So you can ride, but you have to ride with an adult. And then there's that that top level, you've made it. You can go all the way on your own. 
And for the first time, Charlie Rose was able to ride that roller coaster. And she had fun. Now, the year before, she was so bummed out because she watched her siblings go up there and just walk right through. And when she was measured up, she was on that bottom level. There's no way you're getting on this ride, little one. No way. And so, I am so glad that God doesn't look at us and somehow judge us on our stature. That He doesn't say to us, well, you're too small, or you're too little, or you're too slow. No. I can't use you because you don't measure up to my standard. Aren't you glad God doesn't judge us like that? Well, in today's passage, we kind of see something like that going on. When we look at the book of Micah, we see that Micah, like most of the prophets, they were burdened by this one question. And that question was in view of Israel's sin and God's judgment. You see, Micah is writing in the same time that Isaiah was in the 8th century before Christ. He was alive when the Assyrians captured the northern kingdom and took the tribes into captivity. And so Micah, what he's showing us here is that God's people are going in, are going to be invaded and their king is going to be dishonored. I mean, you look there at the very first, cha- the very ver- ver- uh, first verse in chapter 5. He says, Now muster your troops, O daughters uh, of troops. Siege is laid against you. And so what Micah is saying here, he, he's, he's preparing the people for an invasion from the enemy. But then he goes on and he says, With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. If you were to backhand a judge or a king in Israel that day, that would be great disrespect for that king. If you were to smote a ruler in the days of old on the face, that was a sign of disrespect. And so, some people want to look at that verse and say, well, that was, that's reference to the humiliation of Christ. But I believe this is a reference to perhaps King Hezekiah uh, when the enemies were attacking him. And so you see, Micah knew all too well that this was a result of God's judgment on the nation. And so the question of Israel's future was really heavy on Micah's mind. And so we look in chapter, in in verse 3 there, and he says, Therefore, they shall give them, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has been has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Now typically, prophets, they are so vague on timing. In fact, it's just crazy. It makes makes me crazy when I read the prophets and try to say, well, what are you talking about? What time are you talking about? And it's just like, they never give you a, a specific time. And Micah does the same thing here. Micah, he says, listen, he's going to give them up uh, at a, a particular time, but when then when she, uh, when she who is in labor gives birth, then the rest of the brothers will come and return to the people of Israel. Well, when? When is this going to happen, Micah? 
Well, he doesn't give them any specific time. He doesn't tell us any specific time. All he tells us and all he knows is that the Messiah is going to come. It's going to be in connection with his coming. But when he does, he says, then uh, the Messiah is coming and then there will be this great ingathering of Israel. This great ingathering of Israel is going to happen. Now, listen. When we get to Romans chapter 11, and it might be next year sometime, I don't know. I looked at the schedule and it doesn't say when we're going to get there yet. So, But when we get to Romans chapter 11, Paul is going to pick up on what Micah is saying here. For, for, some, for, for a season, there is this hardening in Israel where they are unresponsive. But the day is coming when that hardness is going to be lifted up, it's going to be taken away, and Israel will be saved. They will be grafted into the tree, the true redeemed Israel, which that, and that is in Christ. And so in other words, in verse 3, what Micah is saying to us is that, uh, that the rest of his brothers will return, and this is Micah's way of saying that all Israel will be saved. But listen, this is not the point of this passage here. This is not the point and this is not the focus of the passage. No, the focus of this passage is on the wonder of the prophecy of the Christ to come. It's not the fact that Israel will be saved, but that you and I will be saved because of this coming Messiah. And so, what I want us to do this morning, I want us to let Micah help us to feel the wonder. To feel the wonder of being rescued and being saved by the greatness of Jesus our Savior and Jesus the Messiah. And so to start with, let's make the connection this morning. Let's make the connection between Micah 5 and Jesus Christ the Messiah crystal clear. And to do that, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And let's read verses 1 through 6. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For, at, so, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so we see that Matthew tells us here that the chief priests and the scribes, they knew Micah 5. They knew that Micah 5 was a reference to the Messiah. And so they told King Herod, well, he's, he's to be born in Bethlehem. And so... That is why God saw to it that Jesus 
was born in Bethlehem, even though Joseph and Mary, when she got pregnant, they were living in Nazareth. So God, God intentionally put them in Bethlehem. Because Jesus was, had to be born in Bethlehem because he was the ruler mentioned here in Micah 5. Now, this was a popular view with the people as well. In fact, look at John. John chapter 7. Look at verse 40. When they heard this, uh, these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, No, this is the Christ. But some said, is the, Christ to be, is, to, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And so, you see, this was a popular view with uh, the people at that time. So the leaders knew that they knew Micah 5. The people knew Micah 5, predicted that the coming Messiah, the ruler, would be the king of Israel. And he would come from Bethlehem. But listen, what I want you to understand here is when Micah says this, he's not talking about just any king. He's not talking about any ruler. This is not, 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 not talking about just a, an earthly king or ruler. No, Micah is talking about so much more. In fact, when you look at chapter 2, or you look at chapter 5 there, verse 2 and verse 4, you see this. Look at the, the, the end of verse 2. He says this. For this ruler who is coming comes forth from of old, from ancient days. He's coming from the ancient day. He's a ruler from, from old, from ancient days. That's not an earthly kingdom, or earthly king. And then at the end of verse 4, he says, uh, he says, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. So what we see here is that this coming Messiah, this coming king was not just any king. He wasn't some tribal king. He wasn't some Jewish god. He wasn't some... Palestinian God or Jewish idol. No, no, he would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords to the ends of the earth, not just in Israel, but to the whole earth. And so, what does it mean when he says here, king of kings? What does it mean when, when I say king of kings? He is the king over any earthly king. He's the king over every earthly king. And so what that means, even today, is that Jesus, who is king of kings, is king over Joe Biden. He's king over Putin. He's king over Xi. He is king over any other king that might be raised up. And listen, there will be some other kings that we don't know of that will be raised up in the days to come. But Jesus is king over them. That's the connection. You see, this ruler that Micah refers to in chapter 5 is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now, 
Let's look and see what Micah tells us about Jesus, this Messiah. What does he tell us about Jesus, this Messiah? Well, the first thing I want you to, to notice is that he comes from the insignificant, that from the insignificant will come the most significant one ever born. From the insignificant comes the most significant one ever born. Look at verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Etherath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Now, when he says, O Bethlehem, Etherath, that word Etherath there is simply an old word for Bethlehem. You'll find it in Genesis chapter 48, verse 7. And it's interesting. That word means fruitful. Bethlehem, we know, means house of bread. And then this old word for Bethlehem is fruitful. So this is a, the house of bread from the house of bread, which is fruitful. It's so beautiful. Comes the bread of life, Jesus, our Messiah. He says, but you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old. From ancient of days. So what we see here is that Bethlehem, what Mike is saying here is Bethlehem is hardly, he's, it's hardly worth counting among the clans of Judah. Yet God chose to bring the most significant one who would ever be born out from this insignificant little town which is called Bethlehem. Now, why is that? Why did God choose to do it that way? Well, one answer is David. One answer is David. David, the Messiah, was to come from the house and lineage of David. Now, that's true. That's true. That's been prophesied. But listen, that's not the point of Micah 2, 5, 2 here. That is not the point of this verse. The point is that Bethlehem is small. Bethlehem is insignificant. Not that it was great because it was the, of the city of David. It's not because of the greatness of it. No, Mike is saying it's because it's small, it's insignificant. You see, that's what the scribes and the chief priests missed in Matthew 2, 6. They totally missed this. They even misquoted Micah 5, if you go and look at it. You see, God doesn't choose... God, you see, God chooses something small, quiet, and out of the way, and He does it something that changes the course of history and eternity. Why? Why did, God, why did God do this? He did it because when He acts this way, we can't boast in the merits of any achievement of man, but only in the glorious mercy of God. That's why He does it this way. See, all that we can say is that God wonderfully, freely chose Bethlehem. 
He wasn't impressed with their bigness. He doesn't do anything that calls attention to our accomplishments. Rather, he does everything to magnify his glorious freedom and mercy. I like what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Notice what he says here. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. But God chose... But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. But God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Listen, you see, God chose a stable so that no innkeeper could boast and say, well... He chose my comfortable inn. God chose a manger, a food trough, so that no carpenter can boast and say, well, he chose the craftsmanship of my bed. And God chose Bethlehem so that no one could boast of the greatness of our city, Bethlehem, that our greatness constrained him to this divine choice. No. You see... We would never in a million years think of, of that God would ever choose little, the little town of Bethlehem. We would never have thought that. No, we would have thought, well, God would, might have chose, he might choose Jerusalem for the Messiah to be born. Now, that's where the kings would reign. This, this great city, Jerusalem. Or he might have chose Rome because that was the, 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 the magnified city of the Roman Empire. God might choose Rome, or he might, have, might even choose Alexandra. But in a million years, we would never think that God would choose Bethlehem. This little, insignificant Bethlehem. Listen, if the Messiah was to be born today, and God would choose Enid, Oklahoma, for his birth, I want you to know, that he wouldn't choose Enid because we have a great big Christmas tree downtown. Even though it is a great tree, it's beautiful and all the lights and, all, uh, and everything, God would not choose us because of our Christmas tree. No. Why? Why, why does God do things like this? Why does God choose things like this? Every time we see God do something like this, He is wanting to shut our mouths. You see, God chose you and God chose me freely and unconditionally to stop the mouths of human boasting. Because there was nothing about us that caused God to choose us. There was nothing that God, that caused God to choose us. And that is the point of Micah 5. That's the point. Listen, the deepest meaning of the littleness and insignificance of Bethlehem is that God does not bestow the blessings of the Messiah, the blessings of salvation on the basis of our greatness, our merit, or our achievement, he doesn't elect cities. He doesn't elect people 
on, the, on their prominence or their grandeur or their distinction. No, when he chooses, he chooses freely in order to magnify his mercy and not the glory of our distinctiveness. God chooses freely. And so, can we as a people this Christmas season, can we say with the angels on that starry night, glory to God in the highest and not glory to us? Can we do that this, is, this season? Let's don't say glory to us, but let's say glory to God in the highest. Another thing that Micah shows us about Jesus and Messiah is that he secures for us the promises of God. He secures for us the promises of God. Listen, you see, Christ is the yes of all the promises of God. So if you trust Christ, you will inherit the promises of God. How does Micah show us this? Well, any Jew in those days hearing Micah predict the coming of Messiah from Bethlehem who would feed his flock in, strength, in the strength of the Lord would immediately think of two people. He would think of David, the king, and then the coming son of David, the Messiah. And so there are at least three links to David in this passage. The first one is that David was from Bethlehem. And that's why it's called the city of David. The second one is David was the ruler in Israel. In fact, he was the greatest ruler in Israel. So much that he was called the man after God's own heart. But then thirdly, David was a shepherd boy. And later on, he would be called the shepherd of Israel we see that in Psalms 78. Now the point of these three links is that Micah, what Micah is doing is he's reaffirming the certainty of God's promises to David. I mean, last week, Dylan mentioned this last week from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, and we're going to look at it again. So look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verse 12 and 13. Look what it says there. 2 Samuel 7, 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so... What we see here, and, and what's so simply amazing, is that when Micah predicts this, this is, it's, it's all about timing. Because when Micah predicts this, this was not a time when Israel was raising in prominence. It wasn't a time when they were defeating their enemies and, and, and raising in prominence. No, this was a time when they were being conquered by their enemies and Israel was shrinking toward oblivion. And so the timing is so interesting when Micah predicts this. The northern kingdom was already destroyed. The southern kingdom was coming. Uh, the enemies were coming down upon them. 
And they were going to be destroyed because of God's judgment. And the whole point is, the coming of Christ was the confirmation of God's promises. It was the, prom- the confirmation of the promises of God. And so Paul puts it this way in Romans 15.8. He says, For I tell you that the Christ... For I tell you that Christ became the servant of the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And then in 2 Corinthians 1.20, he says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why we utter our amen to God for His glory. So you see... If you have trusted Christ by faith, you too will inherit the promises of God. Listen, Christmas is the greatest nullification of all human boasting. And it is the confirmation of all the divine promises of God. And so, once again, can we agree this Christmas season to give up our boasting Give up our boasting and simply rest and enjoy all the promises that God has given to us. Can we do that this Christmas? All right. Finally, one last thing I want you to notice. Notice that Micah shows us that Christ will protect his people and give them peace. He will protect his people and give them peace. Look at... Verses 4 through 5. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. And so... Look at what this Messiah that Micah predicts, look what he offers in these verses. First, he offers that he will stand. He will stand. You see, he's not just lying around waiting for us to serve him. No, he is on his toes, he is alert, and he is working for those who trust him as their shepherd. He is standing ready for you. Secondly, he will shepherd his flock. He will not leave us looking to find our own food, but he will lead us as a good shepherd to green pastures and beside those still waters. And when he needs to, he'll take up his shepherd's crook and he'll nudge you where you need to go. He'll put you where you need to be. And when the wolves come, He's not like the hireling. He's not going to drop his crook and run off. He's there to protect his sheep because he is the shepherd of his flock. You see, there is not a need that is unmet in Christ. Thirdly, he will serve us in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord His God. His good intentions for us will never be hindered by lack of strength. 
You know why? Because the strength of the Lord is an omnipotent strength. So if you're trusting Christ this morning, you need to understand that the strength that you have is an omnipotent strength. That strength is on your side. We can walk behind Him like a trusting sheep. And He will overcome any enemy and any obstacle to make you and me what He desires us to be. And that joy in that, and the joy that we get from that, will be ours forevermore. Fourth, notice that He shall be great to the ends of the earth. There is no pockets of resistance that will go unsubdued when He is our, our shepherd. Our security will, be, will not be threatened by any alien forces because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And that's why at the end of verse 4 it says, the whole earth will be filled with His glory. Then finally, the last one. He will be our peace. What good news that is. He will be our peace. That word peace there is the word shalom. The word shalom means health, security, tranquility. He's going to give that to us. He's going to be our peace. Now, in the context of Micah, there is some speaking of a final and an earthly political peace that's going to come. In fact, Micah speaks, us, speaks of this earlier in the book. In fact, look at chapter 4, verse 3. Look what it says in chapter 3. He says, He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. What a glorious thought. What a glorious time that will be. Because one day the ruler, this king of kings, the Lord of lords will return and he'll make this a reality. So we don't, we should not minimize this at all. We shouldn't minimize this at all. In fact, for us today, we must make the connection between the first advent and the second advent yet to come. Because when we do that, then we, will, we can sing that great uh, Christmas carol, Joy to the World, will finally be fulfilled. When it says, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. God, that's yet to come. That is yet to come. But as we close this morning, I want us to consider a deeper peace still. A deeper peace still. A peace that must happen when our unbelief and His judgment is removed. That is our deepest peace. That is our deepest need this Christmas. You see, Micah knew this was coming. He knew it was coming. He had experienced it personally. 
Look at chapter 7. Micah 7. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. But when I set in darkness, the Lord will be light to me. I will bear the iniquity, uh, indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against Him until He pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon His vindication. Micah knew this personally. And he experienced it personally. But then he describes it so beautifully at the end of the book. Look at Micah 7, 18. For he says this, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? For the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in steadfast love, he will gain again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And so Micah understood this and he describes this so beautifully. You see, this was the great work of the Messiah yet to be done. There are enemies on the earth that need to be defeated to have peace. But the greatest enemy called is sin and judgment. And that is the worst and greatest enemy. And the gospel of Christmas, listen, the gospel of Christmas is that Christ has trampled under his foot the enemy, that enemy at the cross. And so every one of us who trust in him, our sins have been cast into the depths of the sea. So if you've trusted Christ this morning, then you, and you've said yes to Jesus, then you know that deepest peace. You know that peace between you and God. But listen, if you're here this morning and you have never put your trust in Christ, you have never believed and put your trust in that one who was born a babe in Bethlehem, I want you to know this morning you don't know that peace. You have never experienced that peace. That deepest peace were between you and God. And there's a void in your life this morning. And you've tried to fill that void with all sorts of things. But the only thing that's going to fill that void in your life is Christ. The peace that He only gives. Jesus said to us as His people, Peace I leave with you. Not the peace of this world, but the peace that I give. Because I am your peace. And if you have never received that peace, the invitation to you this morning is to trust Christ. To trust the shepherd king that Micah mentions here this morning. To put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, today. And then together, we might be able to say together, not glory to us, but glory to God in the highest. 
and peace on earth among those whom he is pleased. Amen? Amen. Listen, the greatest way that we can celebrate what Jesus has done for us is to gather around the table this morning. To gather around this table and to remember the first advent, his coming as a babe. But then to look forward to the second advent, his second coming, when the ultimate climax of God's plan will be unfolded. And so if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Christ, then my invitation to you is to come and participate in this meal together. But if you're here this morning and you have not trusted Christ, you have not put your faith in Christ, then I want to invite you to go to somebody. Go to somebody who might be sitting by you who is a believer. Go to somebody that you see come up here and partake of this meal. Go to them, and I want you to simply ask one question to that person. What must I do to be saved? Let's pray together. Let's pray.